Good morning. Today, wow, you guys responded last night, but just kind of stared at me. Uh, <coughs> maybe it's because I said good morning last night. Um, <coughs> No, I didn't really, but uh, today we're going to be continuing uh, with our, our series, Big God, and we're going to be talking about Daniel and the lion's den and how we can experience God's deliverance in our lives. And, you know, Aaron was just talking about mountains, and whether you call it a giant like Pastor Adam talked about last week, or a mountain in your life, or a lion in your life, whatever the case may be, we've all got things that we're facing. We all have these things that we struggle with. And I know in my life, some of the things that I've struggled with, I struggled with alcohol. I struggled with cigarettes, with despair, with rejection, with anxiety. I sure struggled in 2014 when I got a cancer diagnosis. That was a big one. Another big one was when we were adopting our daughter, Naya. We'd been matched with a little girl named Adia in the Congo first off. We'd spent thousands of dollars already. We were able to Skype with her. We were able to pray with her and see our little girl. And we got notified that her grandmother had decided to keep her. We're like, oh, we lost our little girl. And just a few months later, we were, we were uh, uh, set up with this little girl from Ethiopia. And we got to Skype with her. And, you know, she was two and a half, so she'd talk little Ethiopian baby talk to us on Skype. And, and it was wonderful. And then we got the news that we had lost her, too. And I remember exactly where I was that day. I was actually driving back from Rochester, and I had to pull off to the side of the road because I couldn't even drive. I, I had tears streaming down my face. I was so angry, so hurt. I'm like, God, what are you doing? I said, God, I just got to put this in your hands. I just have to surrender this. And you know what? That little girl has been home with us for five years now because of God's faithfulness and God's deliverance. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, I have some bad news. If you know me, you know I'm a little bit nerdy. Just a little bit. <clears throat> a little, yeah, thank you. I got to give you a little bit of a history lesson. Okay, wow, all right, great. I actually wrote in my notes, pause for groans. So, uh, you know, uh, no groans, that's, that's a good thing. But the, the reason I want to give you a little bit of history is because we're, what we're going to be talking about today is so far away from us where we are now in terms of culture and customs and things that if we don't have that historical background, we're going to have a hard time understanding what's really going on under the hood. So um, I will keep it as brief as I can, I promise. So 605 BC is when the story of Daniel uh, really starts. But we're going to go back a couple of years to 612. In 612, the, the Babylonians, who were the kind of the superpower of the world at the time, they marched with the Medes on the city of Nineveh. Now, if you remember a couple weeks ago, Pastor Deal spoke about how God sent Jonah to the Ninevites to talk to them and say, hey, you guys got to repent. You have to change your ways. And they did. Apparently, it didn't stick because not too long after that, they marched on the northern kingdom of Israel and destroyed it, deported most of their people. Well, then in 612, they got theirs from the Babylonians. They came, destroyed the Ninevites, wiped out the entire Assyrian Empire. The reason that I say that that's important is because the reason that, that all that happened was because God had warned the northern kingdom over and over and over. He said, look, I'm sending you prophet after prophet after prophet. If you don't repent, then judgment is going to come upon you. 
And it sure did in the form of those Assyrians. Now, the, the thing to remember is when God sends that judgment, it's not a punishment. God doesn't punish us like that. Just like you don't punish your children. You discipline them to help them get back on the right track. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, pain is God's megaphone. Sometimes that pain that we feel in our lives is the only thing that will get us to stop going down our own path and turn back to God. So that's why that happened. <clears throat> so then the Assyrians, they got theirs from the Babylonians. Then a couple of years after Assyria was destroyed in 612, the Babylonians came against the southern kingdom of Judah. And that's where Jerusalem was located. And that happened because the, the southern kingdom didn't learn from the mistakes of the northern kingdom. And so judgment came to them as well. So that, that brings us to where we are in 605. So the Babylonians come, they attack Jerusalem, they sack the city, they, they take a lot of the treasures, the, the gold and silver utensils used for serving in the temple. But here's what else they do. They kidnap or take captive a lot of the best and the brightest of the young people of the city. And they take them back to Babylon. Now, to kind of put that into perspective, I want you to imagine for a minute that Russia invades the United States. They attack Washington, D.C., sack the city, take what they want, and kidnap the best and brightest of our high schoolers. That's what happened. So imagine you're one of those young people. You've been kidnapped from your home, taken away from your family, everything you've ever known. You've been taken hundreds of miles to a foreign city. You don't know the language. You don't know the customs. Even the food is strange. You have no idea what is going to happen to you. So the, we're, we're starting off talking about Daniel, of course, but he had three friends with him. We know them more by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the guys that got thrown into the fiery furnace a little bit later. But at this point, they're still teenagers. They've recently arrived in Babylon. And one of the king's officials comes to them and says, look, I've got a deal for you. This is what we're going to do for you guys. You're going to live in the king's palace. We're going to put clothes on your back. You're going to eat from the king's table the same food that the king eats. And we're going to train you for three years. And at the end of those three years, if you study hard, if you learn what, what we want you to learn, and you're healthy, you look good, then we're going to give you pretty high positions in the king's government. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm a teenager and I've been ripped away from my home, everything I've known, and I'm in a new place, and that's an offer I get, that sounds like a pretty good offer, right? Well, there's a catch. See, God, when he gave the Israelites their laws, his laws, he said, don't eat food that's been sacrificed or offered to idols. And in that culture, guess what? Before the king ate food, it was offered to his gods, his false gods. And these Israelite guys, they know this. Daniel, he's the spokesman. He says, he says to the king's official, he's like, you know what? Hey, that's a great offer, but I'm sorry we can't take you up on it because our God says not to defile ourselves by eating food that's offered to idols. This guy's a teenager, hundreds of miles from home. He gets this great offer, and he turns it down because he wants to be loyal to his God. That says an awful lot about Daniel's character right there. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go with him. Well, so they run the very real risk of offending the king, becoming slaves, getting executed. Who knows what's going to happen to him? Well, this official, his neck is kind of on the line, too, if he doesn't get these guys into shape. He says, all right, I'll make a deal with you. Ten days, 
the, 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 well, Daniel said, give us 10 days, 10 days on vegetables. And if we're not healthy after that, then, then we'll do whatever. The guy says, okay. So 10 days later, guess what? Because they were obedient to God, those four teenagers were healthier and stronger than, the, than the, uh, just vegetables than the guys that were eating from the king's table. So the chief official's like, hey, that's all right with me. So after the three years, they were highly placed, they were more highly favored, they had more wisdom, they had more strength, and so they were put higher in the kingdom than anybody else uh, of, of that group. So that is really setting the stage for who Daniel is. Because he was obedient in that, we're going to see that play out later on in his life. Okay, so that's pretty much the end of the history lesson, so you can relax. So we're going to fast forward a couple of years. Well, not a couple, but several, quite a few years. There's a new king. Things are a little bit different, but Daniel's still highly placed. He is one of the top three people in the entire kingdom. Now, when we talk about this kingdom, sometimes it's easy for us to think, oh, you know, some rinky-dink little place, you know, maybe it's like a city and some land around it. Well, no, if you look at the map, the Babylonian, the Babylonian Empire is that shaded area. At the time, that was the largest empire the world had ever seen, 2.2 million square miles, two-thirds the size of the continental U.S. And Daniel is one of the top three guys over that entire empire. And I say that because it's really important that we understand that Daniel was very highly placed at this time. And we know that anytime you're highly placed, you're going to pick up some enemies. And Daniel has his share of enemies. And they want to try to take him down because he's so highly favored. So what do they do? They set a trap for him. And they know that they can't get to him through his character because he's, he's such a, a righteous person. So they think, well, let's try to trap him through his religion. And we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6, and verse 4. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Daniel chapter 6. Verse 4, excuse me. If you're there, say, mm -hmm. see, that worked for me again. That's awesome. It, it always works for Pastor Adam. I usually don't have much luck with it, so it worked last night too. Maybe I need to come up with my own thing, but I'll borrow that for now. All right, Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god during the next or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered, in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So, again, it's a setup. 
they know, they've got a pretty good idea that they're going to be able to trap Daniel in praying to his God during these 30 days. And that because of the law that they convinced the king to make, he's going to get thrown into this den of lions. And of course, what do they do? They go to his house. They find him praying. They tell the king. The king says, oh, man, that's my boy Daniel, but I don't have a choice. It's the law. And he gets thrown into the lion's den. And the king doesn't sleep all night because he's so upset. So we jump down to verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, lest we think that you know, I, I didn't read the, the next verse, but just in case we think that, well, maybe these are some limp, wimpy lions or they weren't hungry or they were tame or something like that. The king was so glad that Daniel was alive and so mad at the people that set him up. The next thing he did is he gathered up the people that set that trap and threw them into the lion's den and they got eaten. So those were real lions. And it was a miraculous preservation by God, not just some natural happening. So what are some things that we can learn from this story. Well, like I said in the beginning, we know everybody has lions in their life. Everybody is facing some kind of struggle, some kind of battle. And again, whether we call it a lion or a giant or a mountain, it's there. And they're scary, and they're, they're powerful, they're intimidating. It doesn't matter whether it's, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's something physical like a tornado rips through your house or, or the folks that are dealing with Hurricane Florence right now, the aftermath of that. You know, that, that can be a lion in your life. You know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to live? What's going to happen? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a relationship in your life. Maybe, maybe your boss at work is giving you a hard time. Or maybe you've got a coworker who's trying to go behind your back and, and take credit for your success or, or sabotage you at work. Maybe it's somebody in your family. You've got a family struggle going on. Maybe it's your wife or your husband that you're always fighting. Things are always bad. Maybe, maybe problems with one of your children or a friend. Maybe it's something, just something that just shakes the very foundations of your life, like losing a loved one, losing your job, getting a diagnosis from the doctor that you weren't expecting. We've all got these lions in our lives. See, and sometimes I think in our minds, because we don't regularly see lions out in the wild, like I've never seen a lion in the wild. You know, we, we see lions in zoos and they just kind of lay around and stuff. I think sometimes we think lions are kind of like this. I love that movie. You can tell I have kids, right? I think I saw it before I had kids, actually. But, um, but see, we think these lions in our lives are kind of like, oh, rawr. You know, and that's not the case. A lion in the wild is this ferocious, fearsome beast. And it rips and it, sh and it shreds and it tears and it devours. But there's something else that we can learn from this story. And it's that God loves obedience. God values our obedience. 
See, I, I love this because I gave you that historical background and I showed you how big that empire was on the map because I wanted you to understand just how much Daniel was risking during this. I mean, he was living the Babylonian dream, man. One of the top three people in that entire empire. He had money. He had wealth. He had position. He had authority. He had it all. And all that he had to do for that 30 days was just say a prayer silently before he ate his lunch. Or maybe wait to pray until it was dark out when nobody could see what he was doing. Or close his windows so nobody could see what he was doing. But he didn't. Because he valued his God more than he valued his position. He valued his God more than he valued his wealth. And sometimes I think we're kind of like what Jesus is talking about in the New Testament. He's like, who lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket? Do we do that? Do we sometimes put our lamps under a basket? I'm ashamed to admit that sometimes I have. There's been times when I've been maybe at the gas station, at the store or something like that, and I felt God saying, hey, why don't you go talk to that guy? Why don't you go ask if you can pray for him? I'm like, God, I'm in line at the gas station. I'm buying, like, junk food, you know? I don't, I don't want to go talk to that guy. That's awkward. What, what are the people going to think? Have you ever been in a situation like that? And afterwards, I think, maybe I could have made a difference in that guy's life. You know, I, I do have one good story. There was a time I was, yeah, one, right? <laughs> I was at Walmart one time, and, and I tell this story over and over because, you know, I actually did what I was supposed to. Um, and, you know, God pointed out this lady, and he's like, hey, you need to go pray for her. Like, God, I'm in Walmart. You know, who goes up to somebody in Walmart and, and asks if they can pray for them? Well, a child of God, that's who does that. So, well, I went up and I said, hey, this may sound really weird, but I just feel like God is, is asking me to, to see if, if you need prayer for anything. And she started to tear up and she said, I've been praying that if God was real, he would send me a sign that he was real. And here you come and ask if I can pray for you, if, if you can pray for me. And I thought, yes. Now, I'm going to be honest. I felt like throwing up the whole time I was walking over to her, okay? I mean, it can be scary. It's intimidating going up to a stranger like that. But what a difference I was able to make in that woman's life. And it was just something so simple. I didn't know who she was. Chances are, I mean, Auburn's not a huge town, but there's a lot of people in Auburn. I'd probably never see her again. So if I had gone up and said, hey, can I pray for you? And she, like, you know, maced me or something. You know, I'd probably never have to see her again. But instead, because I was obedient, I made a difference in her life. So I think about somebody else who was obedient, a guy named Abraham. God called Abraham out from his city. And he said, Abraham, I want you to move to this new land. Leave everything behind. Most of your family, your friends, whatever business you're involved in, leave all that stuff. And go to the place where I tell you. And I'm going to give you a son, even though you and your wife are old and can't have kids, I'm going to give you a son and make you a mighty nation. Abraham said, hey, I think that sounds pretty good. So I'll go ahead. 1,100 miles he moved on foot. Think about how long that would take. Now, I know that it is two hours walking from here to McDonald's in Auburn. Don't ask me why I know that. Um, no. <laughs> Because to, I, I, 
I taught about Abraham a couple weeks ago with the teenagers, and I used that as an example of, of you know, a place they would recognize how long it takes to get there on foot. But um, not that I walk to McDonald's on a regular basis. But so Abraham believed God, and he made a lot of mistakes. He did a lot of dumb stuff. If you're reading Genesis, I'm like, dude, really? You know, saying that his wife was his sister and, you know, getting with his sleigh, all this dumb stuff that he did trying to make God's promise happen. Well, but eventually, because remember, God is faithful even when we're not, Amen. he got his son. Sarah became pregnant with Isaac. And I'm sure Abraham is like, you know what? Life is good. God, you're so good to me. I've got all these herds. I've got all this wealth. I've got my son. I've got my wife. Man, Lord, I'm so glad that I listened to you. Everything is just amazing. And then one day, God says to Abraham, hey, you know that son I gave you? Abraham says, yeah. God says, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me. I don't know about you guys, but if God said that to me, I think I'd be checking my hearing. Like, no, that, that can't be God. God gave me this son. That, that can't be right. That can't be real. What does Abraham do? He gathers some wood, and he takes his son, and he goes up on the mountain to sacrifice him. See, child sacrifice was not really unknown in that time, in that area. It was, it was not uncommon for families to sacrifice their firstborn child to their false gods for, uh, you know, things like fertility for their crops or, or rain to fall and things like that. And I can just imagine the anguish in Abraham's mind as he's thinking, God, I thought you were different. I thought you weren't like those other gods. Now you're asking me to kill my son. But he goes, but he goes, and he's going up the mountain, and he's got there, and he, he ties his son, who, who he's been waiting for, who he loves. He ties him down on the altar. He's got the knife raised. He's getting ready to strike, and then God says, wait, don't harm the boy. Now I know where your heart is. Now, come on. God knew Abraham's heart. God knew what Abraham was going to do, but Abraham didn't. See, we don't know in these tests that we face in life, we don't know how we're going to react until we're there. And that's how it was with Abraham. And I think, man, Lord, give me faith like Abraham. Because he believed so much in who God was that he was willing to risk what God gave him. His heart was with who God was, not in what God could provide and that brings us to our next guy. We find him in Matthew chapter 19. We call him the rich young ruler. Matthew chapter 19. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. I love that, by the way. Which ones? How, just how much do I have to do? Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
See, that man right there, he was obedient. He did all the right things. He followed the commandments. He followed the rules. But what was the difference between his obedience and the obedience of Abraham or the obedience of Daniel? It was where his heart was. Because Daniel and Abraham were willing to give up everything that they had for God. And this man went away sad because he had many possessions. Are we ever like that? Are we ever so caught up in something outside God that we miss the best of what God has for us? Are we so caught up in our jobs? Are we so caught up in, in chasing money or, or chasing a relationship or chasing power or, or whatever that we miss what God has for us? I want to tell you a story. I, I carry a multi-tool every day. If you're not familiar with multi-tools, they're these cool little things, and they, they have little tools that you can pull out, like screwdrivers and pliers and a knife blade. And I think I've got a picture of one here. So this is the Leatherman Skeletool. I, I have this. I mean, it's, it's got everything you need, right? I use this thing all the time. I, I use it to open boxes. Um, I use it to open boxes. Um, <laughs> Hey, one time in the men's restroom, I noticed that the divider uh, in the, between the urinals was loose, and so I pulled it out, and I tightened the screw. So I felt pretty good that day. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have a good friend who works on a farm, and, and he's got a multi-tool similar to that. And uh, he's, like, busted the screwdriver off of it, and, you know, the knife blade is all chipped, and the pliers are loose. He actually had to send it into the company to get it fixed. And mine still looks a lot like that. Um, but... So I, I love multi-tools, and, and so I got, a, I got an email from the Leatherman Company, the company that makes these things, a couple weeks ago, and I was reading the email, and they came out with a new multi-tool. And this thing was cool. I mean, talk about latest and greatest. I'm like, I have got to have that thing. And I said, Bethany, can I get this? Now, I, I, have, I have a rule that before I buy anything, I ask Bethany because I like to buy dumb stuff. And that's why I'm not allowed to go into the grocery store by myself. And uh, I come up with like, you know, five bags of burritos. And, um, and another nine. And, well, then most grocery, what grocery stores do you go to? <laughs> um, but so anyway, so I'm like, I got to have this thing. And Beth's like, well, your, your birthday's coming up. And I'm like, cha-ching. So I went ahead and ordered it, and I, I sold a couple of other knives that I had laying around that I wasn't using and whatnot. And I was waiting, and I kept checking my email for the shipping confirmation. And I got it, like, on a Thursday, and I checked the tracking number. It's going to be delivered on Tuesday. I'm like, cool. So Friday, I checked the tracking number just to make sure it's still coming Tuesday and, you know, didn't get routed to North Dakota or something. And I'm so excited about this thing. Tuesday, I get home from work. I walk in the door, and I was like, oh, yeah, your thing is here. And I pulled out my multi-tool to open the box, and I open it, and I pull this thing out, and I, and I was like, you know, you hold it up, and, like, light's coming down. Like, oh, it was amazing. Do you have, do you have a picture of it, Dominic? Yeah. I mean, isn't that thing cool? Like, it's green. So I had this thing. And I was so excited about it, and I'm like, you know, like, I can open boxes with this. And, and, and I was excited with it for about five minutes. And then I'm like, why did I buy this? I mean, it's green. The only difference is that it's green. Now, they also have red ones, and they have blue ones, too, so I was kind of looking at those as well. But 
I got so excited about this new thing, and when it finally came, guess what? It was a letdown. And I was kind of thinking about it. I'm like, why am I feeling weird about this? And so I, I prayed. I'm like, God, what's going on here? He said, hey, that message about Daniel you're preaching in a couple weeks? I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> and he said, maybe you should talk about this a little bit. See, I got so excited about buying something new, something shiny. And as soon as the new and the shiny wore off on that thing, to get that same excitement back, what would I have to do? I'd have to buy something else. I'd have to move on to the green one or the, re the, the red one or the blue one. I actually ended up trading it to Luke, uh, my son, for, uh, for another knife that he had that I wanted. So I don't even have the thing anymore. <laughs> but see, that's what we do with all of these things. Like, oh, man, I can't wait until I get a boat. Once I've got a boat, then I'll finally be happy. Or I can't wait until I get my dream job or I get that promotion. Then I'll finally be happy. Or I can't wait until, until I get married. Then I'll finally be happy. Whatever it is. But here's the thing, church. All of us have this hole inside of us, and we try to fill it with all of these things, whether it's work or sports or hobbies or, or stuff or, or relationships, whatever it is. But the thing is, anything you put in that hole just goes right on through and doesn't fill that hole. And so you have to go on to the next thing to try to fill that hole. Because the only thing that can fill that hole inside of us is God. Because he made us to be in relationship with him. So if we're chasing anything other than who God is to make us happy, to give us joy, we're going to be disappointed. And I think that's the message or the lesson that we can learn from the rich young ruler. And that's the difference between Daniel and Abraham and their faith. Because their hearts were with God not with their stuff. So the third thing we can learn from this story, and I think that this is the most important, is that God has power over lions. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, he wasn't saved because he was a martial arts expert and he kicked the lions in the face. He was saved because God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel didn't do anything. Daniel had faith, he was obedient, his heart was with God, but it was God who sent the angel to shut the mouths of the lions. God has power over lions. See, these lions, they are destructive beasts. They rip, they tear, they consume. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I think a lot of us are pretty familiar with that. What about verse 9? Verse 9 says, Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. What is it that allows us to resist that devouring lion? It's our faith. It's our faith in God that allows us to resist. It's not because we're cool. It's not because we're educated. It's not because we're powerful. We have a lot of money or anything like that. It's our faith in God and who he is that allows us to resist those lions. I, I love what Pastor Adam said last week. He said, faith is the opposite of fear. So if you're afraid, 
Resist with faith. Stand with faith. Hebrews chapter 11, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. You've heard of the Hall of Fame. I've heard people call it the Hall of Faith. If you're ever down, if you ever have, have, feel like your faith is weak or you need encouragement, go read Hebrews chapter 11. Because if that doesn't cheer you up, nothing will. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read a couple of verses here. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. All of that happened through their faith, through their faith in God. When we have faith in God, it opens things up for God to work in our lives. It opens things up for God's power to come through. Ephesians chapter 6, the full armor of God, one of my, one of my favorite chapters. A lot of times we think of armor and we think about like a medieval knight in his plate armor. But that's not really what Paul's talking about. Most likely, Paul is talking about what a Roman legionnaire would wear, what a Roman legionnaire would use. And so when he talks about the shield of faith... says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That shield is not like what we think it is. It's not some like medieval round shield or maybe like a triangle or anything like that. This is what that shield looks like. Look at how big that thing is. Look at how much it's protecting that man. It is protecting his entire body as he stands there withstanding the attacks of his enemies. That's the shield of faith, folks. That is the shield that allows us to stand. It doesn't say go out and look for a fight. It doesn't say turn around and run. It says stand and resist. James chapter 4, he says, resist the devil and what? He'll flee from you. We resist and we stand because of our faith. Now, when we talk about faith and we talk about resistance and things like that, our God is faithful. You heard me say, five years, my little girl has been home, even though it looked like we had lost her. But after I got over my, my emotional uh, attack or fit or whatever you want to call it, we started making some calls. We said, we need you to pray with us. And we prayed and we prayed we said, God, we love that little girl. We want her. But just like Jesus in the garden, we said, your will, not ours. We surrendered that to God. We got what we prayed for. Amen. I cannot promise you that every time you pray in faith, you will get exactly what you want. Because sometimes God's plan is different from what we want. But I can promise you this, God's plan is better than anything we could hope or imagine. Will you stand with me, please? I don't know what lion you're facing in your life, what giant, what mountain. Maybe for you it's financial, you've got a stack of bills that you can't pay. Maybe it's health related. 
Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's some sin that's still holding you back that you're struggling with that you just can't break free. Whatever it is, I want to pray for you right now. Bow your heads, please. Father, I just pray for all the people here today, whatever they're struggling with, whatever that lion, whatever the mountain, whatever the giant, we know that you love us. And we just pray that you work in our lives, you work through our faith, that you help us to stand firm because we know that a shield only protects us from the front. And when we run, it doesn't protect us. So we ask that you strengthen our faith, God. We ask that you take whatever we're struggling with and remove it. Or if that's not your will, that you strengthen us to endure it. God, I just ask that you work in the lives of all of these people that are gathered here today. And I thank you that you are a God who will never leave us, who will never forsake us, but who walks through every struggle that we have with us and indeed carries us through. We thank you most of all for Jesus who died on the cross so that we could be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to have some prayer partners up front here. So if you have a prayer need, if you've got a lion that you need prayer for, come and talk to them. They want to pray with you. So God bless. You are dismissed.